everything. And it, this resurrection life changes the way that we do everything in our lives. So he's going to come to the end of this letter, Paul is, and he's writing, and he's going to, we almost would say, why in the world are we reading this? Like, so today's not going to be even much of a sermon. We're going to walk through. He just starts naming these names of the early church here that had to be a part of the church at Colossae. So we'll be in Colossae 4, 7 to the end of the chapter today. And what I want us to do is just pull out who were these guys and gal that he's writing to. And what in the world does this mean to me? Like, why is this in Scripture? <laughs> um, this farewell greeting that Paul is, is giving. And why is this in Scripture? So a couple observations before we jump in. And, and you'll see how all that we just talked about ties in, hopefully, uh, here in just a second. But a few things before we jump into the text. Um, just remind us of things that if you've grown up around the church, you, you heard. But this is important. If you're here and you're kind of peeking over the fence to see if Jesus is true, if the Bible's true. I just want to say a couple things to you guys. Uh, just for a second. First, all of scriptures matter because they are all equally inspired. So we're not skipping uh, the last little part of this, even though it would be pretty easy to do because it's kind of weird and there's names that I can't say, so we're going to give them nicknames today, okay? Um, um, So like, why are we reading this? Like this is just as much inspired as Colossians 1 of the glories of Jesus is inspired. By inspired, we mean this Bible, we believe, although written by humans, written by a guy named Paul, to real individual people, is inspired by God. It is from the mouth of God. Like God spoke this book into being. This is not just the ideas of God. These are the words of God. So that's hard for me to believe. We would love to walk through um, that with you, why we believe these things. But this passage is just as much that as all the other ones. So it's important. There's something for us about who God is, about who we are, what it means for us to follow Jesus is true in these paragraphs. Uh, and then second, I would say that faith, our faith is historic and reliable. I just want to point out that we're going to look into real-life people, and these cities that are mentioned here are real cities, most of which aren't um, still today, but history shows us these are real places. So I just want to say to us, the Bible is not written like a fairy tale. So people say, oh, the Bible's just a myth. It's not written that way. I mean, how many myths do you write? This is so historical. These are letters that he would pen by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and as we'll see here, circulated through all the local churches. And they would be read in corporate gatherings like this because they were authoritative from God. But they were real people like us. <laughs> A couple thousand years ago, but real people. This is historic. It's rooted in real context. Um, it's not make-believe. So just look uh, at an example of this in verse 15 of Colossians 4. I'll grab right the end. So he, Paul says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. This is a real city. And to Nympha and the church in her house. So this is um, a lady that hosts the, house, the church in her house here. He's mentioned, he's like, hey, I know. Say hi to Nympha for me. These are real people. And when this letter's been read among you, again, because it was authoritative, it's from God. It's, they were reading the scriptures just like we're reading now. Um, Have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and so again there's a circulation of this is from God so Paul's saying I want it passed around I want the churches to read this because God is speaking to us and uh, so I can't preach that but if you want to know more about why we trust the Bible as God's word uh, beginning in the fall uh, the third Sunday in August we start our study groups back up so we're having our summer study group right now y'all are welcome to come 9 30 we're talking about the gospel right now Uh, but in the fall we're going to start a study group on how to study the Bible 
Uh, and we're going to spend a few weeks on the front end talking about things like this. Like, how did we get the 66 books that we got? And why do we believe that they're from God? And do, can we trust the original manuscripts? And what in the world does it look like to read Colossians and then, like, Leviticus? You ever try to do a quiet time in Leviticus? Like, what in the world? Like, how do I, do I study the Scripture? We're going to do our best to, to teach principles of how to, how to do that. So if that's you, and you, you should have a lot of questions about this. We'd love to talk, but come in the fall. Uh, mark your calendars for that. We'd be glad. Uh, to have you. But here's a couple more observations from this text before we jump into the people. Uh, the church is bigger than you and me. So we're reading um, a letter from Paul. So Paul's kind of super Christian, right? We love Paul. <laughs> He's awesome. But there's 10 people or so that's here. Um, and it's almost as if Paul is giving us like a group photo, right? So you're at like a wedding, y'all take a group shot. Uh, it's like, here's my posse, this is my crew, you know? Like, I want you to see the people who are doing ministry with me while I'm in, church, while I'm in prison in Rome. So again, he's writing this letter from a jail cell, but he goes, hey, church at Colossae, church at Laodicea, I want you to know the people who've helped me. Like, this is not just a one-shot thing. Like, Paul's not just going out and doing this himself. The church is bigger than any one person. I, and so I just want to remind us again of the value and the necessity of the local church and what it means to be a part of a church. And if it's not this one, like just a church, like find a body of believers that you can plug your life and commit your life to. Because you see this historically laid out in Scripture, like you're not meant to live the Christian life alone. The church is more than just the pastor serving God and you guys just show up to listen to me talk and it's more than just you as individuals out living your life like you are empowered by the spirit of God you're created in the image of God but you do not fully reflect all that God is right you do reflect parts of who God is because you're creating the image of God but when we all come together and we live in a community and so many of us in this room have nothing in common with each other other than Jesus like what unites us together and it's Jesus and you need people that are different than you, coveted together, walking through life. That's what the church is. And we see an example of this laid out as he talks about Paul's community. Paul goes, hey, I want you to know I'm not doing this alone. The church is much bigger than just one individual. And when we together are empowered by the Spirit of God using our gifts, we reflect God more accurately. So if it's just you, people are going to see glimpses of God because you reflect God and you are on mission with God. But you don't do that as well as you do when it's an us. And I think you see that represented here. But then, lastly, unity does not mean uniformity. So, when you say you're going to live together, the church is big, you've got to be collective, be a community. It's not about you, it's about the church, it's all of us together. What, what I mean by that is, you're still you. So, I, most of us have never heard a sermon on some of these ten people that we're going to talk about. <laughs> I've never heard a sermon on them, and I can't even say their names right um like who are these guys but i want you to see is they have just as much to play in the body of christ as paul and you don't hear much about them and paul had a, had a unique ministry i'm not trying to take away from that but these aren't paul level christians if you want to give it a level these are normal everyday people so these aren't the conference speakers and the pastors and the mission these are regular people who get up on monday morning and work a real job Real life people that are still being used in the church. And so we are to have unity around this mission. But unity does not mean we're all the same. You're supposed to be you. God wired you the way he wired you on purpose. God makes no accidents. 
Like he doesn't fumble on the one yard line. Like he finishes what he starts. You are who you are on purpose. That's not to say we don't have sin that we got to confess. That's not to say if we're in balance that we use our personality bents and our gifts as excuses to not pursue the whole of Scripture and the whole of mission. But you are who you are, and you need to run in your lane. You don't need to run in my lane. I don't need to run in yours. How has God wired you to be? So being together and being unity doesn't mean that we all become alike, and that we all become preachers, <laughs> and all we need to all go to seminary. Like That is not what God is calling us to. I just want to read Romans 12, the words... We'll be up on the screen. I'm not going to preach this. I just want to read it to you. It's so important uh, to set up our conversation today. Uh, For by grace given to you, or given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So it's having humility. Again, church is bigger than you. You're not the center of God's universe. (laughs) You're, You're not everything. So don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment. And here's how we are to do this. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. So you are one, but yet you have literally many body parts, is what he says. So you, there's all the parts are different, but they come together to make one unified thing. And the members um, do not all have the same function. So your fingers do different things than your feet, right? Like, I mean, they have a different part to play in you being you. They're different. So we, verse 5, though many, there's many of us in this room, are one body in Christ. We're united. It's not just about you, but there's an us. So beautiful. And individually, see that word? That's important. Individually, members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So you're not wired like I'm wired. And that's okay. And all God's people said, yes, praise the Lord. There's not a bunch of Derek Sherfies running around. Okay. All of our gifts differ, and it's grace that he's given. So he's, it's not about you. So using your gift isn't about making much of you. It's about... Making much of Jesus. It's all about grace. Let each of us use them. Let me just ask you a question. Are you using your gifts? Do you know what they are? Do you know your part in the body of Christ? You say, well, Derek, I don't lead worship, and I don't preach, and I'm not, I, so I don't know what I do. <laughs> what do I do? And so Paul's admonishing us, you have a gift. God has been gracious. You better use it. So he, he lists some of them. If prophecy proportion to our faith of service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness so again we can't unpack all of this about spiritual gifts maybe we can teach a sermon on that one day but here's the point you are an individual but your individuality is not for you our culture says hey man i'm me i'm gonna do me it's what i want And yeah, we say, yeah, you are you. Don't not be you. (laughs) But what if he's wired you individually the way that you are for the sake of the whole, for the sake of his glory and mission, not to be used for yourself, but for the joy of other people. It's for the flourishing of others. So yeah, be you. Be an individual. Don't conform to some mold of the church that says you've got to fit in this mold. But listen, it's not about you. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Paul says. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through and just grab very briefly these guys and just say, how did they fulfill their role in this? It's bigger than Paul. It's bigger than us. And so who are these guys and what did they do in the body of Christ? And I just want to pull out a couple questions to say, is this us? Are we doing this? And so holistically, no matter what your gift are, I think we can learn something from all uh, of these cats today. All right. So here's the first one. Um, When we are captivated by the glories of Christ, we will do whatever it takes to serve Christ and his bride. 
So all of these are going to start with that phrase, when we are captivated by the glories of Christ, because, again, we're summarizing our whole series that we've been walking through, and all of these people had experienced Jesus. They're not just religious. They're not just busy helping Paul administratively. Like, they have been changed by Christ. So all the things that we learn from them is a direct result from seeing Jesus and loving Jesus and wanting to be changed and follow Jesus in everyday life. So let me just say, all these principles that we're going to talk about, don't get up from here and try to apply them apart from being captivated by the beauty of Christ because you're going to burn out. You're going to be miserable. How many people have tried that, like in church? Like, I try to do all the rules, fulfill all the things, and I just get, I'm done. But it changes things when all these things are an overflow of you seeing Jesus and loving Jesus. Like, that is the difference. Like, don't get those things mixed up. So these are principles, but... It's, a, it's what will happen when we look at Jesus. That makes sense? We tracking together? Okay. Here's the first guy. Oh, man. Tychicus. Oh, I know. If you want to come up here and translate for me, guys, it'd be great. Let's read verse 7 through 8. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So who is uh, Tychicus. Uh, what did he do? Real briefly, if you read um, the other uh, the letters and the Acts, uh, Tychicus is responsible um, a lot to carry the letters that Paul writes to the churches. He's the errand boy, if you will, for Paul. So he's taking the the letters. So he took uh, Colossians and Philemon and later Ephesians as well. And he's, listen, you say, okay, he's an errand boy. What's that matter? But you got to understand about Tychicus is when we're saying we're going from Rome. And we're taking it all the way to Colossae. I mean, I didn't do the math. I didn't look it up. It's a long, long way. Uh, this was before emails, shoot files over, and this is before cars and planes and trains and all that stuff. I mean, he's, it's a perilous journey. It's, it's a big, 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 big sacrifice of his time. He's sacrificing greatly to take God's word, to be with Paul and to be a minister with Paul, but to take God's word to the churches. He's doing whatever it takes. It's a huge sacrifice and a huge commitment. Uh, and then later we see in Titus and Timothy is that Tychicus is also kind of a fill-in pastor. So when Titus needs to go preach the gospel somewhere, and when Timothy leaves and goes to preach the gospel, Tychicus came in and would be their pastor a while. So if I left for six weeks, Tychicus coming in and preaching for you all. Like he's, kinda, he's a fill-in interim pastor role. So you see God using him, and he has this posture of, I'll do whatever it takes. You want me to go on a journey that's going to take months and potentially cost me my life? Sure. I believe in this mission so much that I'll do whatever it takes. I'll leave my family and I'll go on these long journeys. Um, it may not seem very attractive and very needy, needed, but think about what would happen if he didn't deliver God's word to God's churches. Big deal. So there's no small task. So I mean, just for the sake of time, I just want to walk through what Paul says of him and just ask, is this true for you? So he, says, he calls him a beloved brother. So let me ask, do you have a sacrificial love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? He said, take it because you are beloved. You're living your life in such a way on display. So if it's preaching and filling in, or if it's just taking the scrolls <laughs> to the other town and costing your life, like you are just loved and we love you. Can you say that you have that? Do whatever it takes for the church. And by church, I don't mean run programs and all those things, but although it does mean that. But I'm talking individuals. When I say church, I mean people. Then he calls them a faithful minister. So let me just ask you the question. Are you faithfully 
and humbly living out your identity as a servant. That word minister can be translated servant. He faithfully serves. So do you think that your life is about you being served or do you have this posture of just others oriented and saying, I want to do whatever it takes to see them fulfilled, them flourishing? Because that's the heart of Christ. Jesus did not come to be served, but what? To serve. Jesus is a servant. So if we're going to follow Jesus and be his disciples and go where he goes, we are going to have this posture of it's not about me, it's about you. I want to serve you. I want to faithfully see you loved and cared for. Then he calls him a fellow servant. Again, um, and so that word servant can be translated slave. Uh, so you are a slave to Jesus. So he says, so here's a question. Is your life more characterized by selfless sacrifice or self-promotion? Self-preservation. Would you describe your life as more, what's in it for me? <laughs> what can I get? Or are you really saying, no, 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 I want to die to myself. Humility says, not thinking less of yourself or thinking more of yourself. Here's what humility is. It's thinking of yourself less. How many times of a day are you thinking about you? What the gospel wants to do in us when we get, see Jesus is when we just begin to forget ourselves. Man, that's convicting to me. And then he says, encourage your hearts. So he was the type of person that, that did that. So are you the type of person that drains and sucks the life out of people? Or do you instill courage into the hearts of people? Are you the type of person that when they're around you, they love Jesus more because of you? Just the way you are, you encourage the hearts of real people the heart of our Jesus and Jesus was this type of person like we said he is touching people that he had no he didn't need to touch I, I, almost, I, I don't have time for this but I just feel like I need to tell this story because it's been speaking to me uh, about how much how awesome Jesus is and how much I love him is you know that Jesus can just speak a word and heal people right we're tracking like Jesus sh- shows that in the gospels he says things your faith has made thee well and they're healed but there's this guy that's a leper you guys remember that and leper not like tiger cat kind of guy but like had like a skin disease like body parts falling off and in those days you would be ostracized from society you had to live in a different part of town and in a commune and if somebody saw you coming they had to shout out unclean don't get around that guy because he's a leper and he's never been touched by anybody in decades and jesus he comes up to be healed by jesus and jesus forgives his sin there's so much there that we don't have time to talk about but he forgives him and he's going to heal his body physically but he touches him, the Bible says, and Jesus touched him. I don't want to run too much into this, okay? We don't know. I'm, this is all just, like, this is not, like, authoritative. But why did Jesus touch the leper? He didn't have to. Like, he could have said the words. Uh, and he would have been healed just as much. But he went out of his way to touch him. And I, and I don't know, but I think there's a reason for it. And I would like to think that it's this. Um, he wasn't just healing this guy spiritually as forgiving his sins he wasn't just healing him physically he was healing him uh, emotionally deeply like this guy has not been touched in decades and he said i want to i'm willing to be associated with you i don't care if i get you on me like i want to i love you so holistically like that is the heart of jesus that's just one snapshot of this servant heart of jesus listen you can trust him you can trust this jesus He's the one that goes out of his way to touch lepers and goes out of his way to go to Samaria where no one will go because he loves deeply. He loves you. And it's just so, it, Jesus is so beautiful. So when you're captivated by Christ, like why would Jesus stoop and serve me? 
Like my sin is worse than touching the leper, and yet he entered in to my mess. So how could I ever stand at a distance from other people? I want to be like Jesus. I want to serve others. All right, here's the second. We are captivated by the glories of Christ. We will forsake our sin by the grace of Christ. I don't have time to do it because we preached this last week, but we have our buddy Onesimus. So just remember, Onesimus was a runaway slave from Philemon. He was a slave, stole something from his, from his master and left. And yet he meets Paul, is saved, and he goes back to be restored. Remember that story from last week? This is absolutely beautiful. Um, but Onesimus is one who's blown it. He's really, 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 really bad dude. And he's one that when he saw Jesus, he was willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of his sin. I don't want it anymore. Like, compared to Jesus, my sin is nothing. So let me just read this to us. 1 John 1, the words will be up on the screen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So all of us are really messed up. We're worse than Onesimus. We're just as bad, at least. But then verse 9 is beautiful. He says, but if, if we confess our sins, agree with God about our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we see that with Onesimus. He sinned, but when he came to grips with Jesus, he wanted nothing to do with his sin. So let me just ask, when's the last time that you were broken over your sin? Just as bad as it really is. Like, God, I don't want to be this way. You know what? God doesn't shun us when we get like that. I think so often we feel that way, don't we? Like, if I really come clean, man, God's not going to love me. But it's actually the opposite. When we finally come to the end of ourselves and say, I don't have it all together and I've rebelled against you. And God, here's my sin. I confess them. Take them away. He's faithful. He will never, ever deny that request. You know that? He never denies that request. If you come to him brokenhearted and say, God, I don't want my sin anymore. Forgive me. He always answers, yes. He's faithful and he's just. And not just forgive us, but again, that's a holistic. He cleanses us from everything. Let's keep moving. When we are captivated by the glories of Christ, we will gladly risk all things for the cause of Christ. Say, so how do you know that? Well, we have this guy, Aristarchus. Oh, man. Archie, I don't know. We'll call him that. Um, Colossians 4.10 says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So real quick, uh, I don't have time to chase this guy, but basically this guy is always getting in trouble with Paul. Paul's out preaching the gospel. Paul gets thrown in prison. This guy is always found in Acts. There's about three or four different places where this guy is seen in Acts. And he gets thrown in prison with Paul (laughs) over and over again. That's all you know about this guy is that he's always hanging out with with Paul and they get in trouble for sharing Jesus everywhere they go. All right, so okay, cool. Why are you telling us that? But I think we have something um, to learn about this and we understand that he's here in Colossians and I think he's hanging out with Paul in in Rome, but he's not even a prisoner. He's just associating with Paul to be with him, associating with a prisoner. She says, okay, what does that mean for us? Just a question for us. Is your allegiance to Jesus just to get things from Jesus? Or are you in it even if it costs you everything? Because that's the question. Aristarchus, is that his name? Is that the right one? Yeah, Aristarchus is, he doesn't care. Now, how many of us would really say, I'm going to keep preaching the gospel even if it says I'm in prison for the rest of my life? I don't know how I would respond. Like if our government says, hey, you've got to shut down and stop this. I mean, there's a way to you know, be respectful and do those things. But what's it, what if it means it costs us everything? Right now, it just costs funny looks and maybe some friends not understanding why we want to go all in and follow Jesus. 
doesn't cost us much, but in parts around the world, people are dying for this. And are you, is your faith that deep? Are you in it to say, Jesus, bless me? Or are you saying, you know what, Jesus, you're the blessing. And even if I have to lose everything, you're enough. I don't care what it costs. My proverbial prison, <laughs> I'm in it. I'm not in it just for the reward. Even if it costs me everything, you're, you are still enough. So I'm just going to ask, look at your life. I've been looking at my life this week. Is your life characterized by risky, costly obedience? Has your relationship with Christ ever really cost you anything? Or are you playing it safe? Is your life more characterized by apathy? Just kind of just coasting. I mean, I'm cool with Jesus, but man, my life really isn't reflecting this. If I really believe this, I would be all in. And I'm not all in when I look at my life. Are you more addicted to comfort? then you are the praise of the glory of his grace. What if, and he is, he's calling us into deeper waters. Are you willing to follow him even to that? Matthew 10, I won't read it for the sake of time, but Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you out, disciples. His, that was his original followers. He goes, hey, if you're going to follow me, they're going to put you in prison. They're going to beat you. They may even kill you. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Like, we always say all the time, like, I want to follow Jesus as long as it's safe. Jesus won't leave me somewhere that's dangerous, but you see Jesus over and over again. Like, if you're going to follow me, you're going to die to yourself, you take up your cross, and you've got to follow me wherever I'm going. To the hard-to-reach places of, around the world that have yet to hear the name of Christ, they're hard to reach for a reason. So if we're going to be committed to unreached peoples, it means we're going to be going even at the risk of our lives. Is Jesus worth it? Does our, does our discipleship go down to those levels? Are we really taking up our crosses and dying to us and following him? Thanks, Aristarchus, for convicting us, right? (laughs) Okay, Um, let's keep moving. When we are captivated by the glories of Christ, we will walk in freedom from past failures and no longer be defined by our weaknesses, but rather be defined by the strength of Christ. Read that again because it's kind of lengthy. When we're captivated by the glories of Christ, we will walk in freedom from past failures and no longer defined by our weaknesses, but we will be defined by his strength. So Colossians 4, verse 10, we find this other guy named Mark. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. All right, who's Mark? So Mark is one of the um, disciples of Christ. What you see in Acts 13, this is, listen, he's on a missionary journey with Paul. So Paul's going where the name of Christ is yet to be named, and Mark is one of the guys with him. All right, but they get on the field, and it gets hard. You know what Mark does? You guys remember? He bounces. He just, he leaves. So when it got hard, John Mark was like, Mm-mm, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm going home to mom. Literally, it says he went home to his family. It's like he went, I was like, I need my mama. And he leaves the mission field um, because it got too, too difficult. And then in Acts um, 15, Barnabas that we mentioned here is following Paul with Paul. And Barnabas goes, hey, Paul, we're going to go on this next missionary journey. Let's bring Mark. <laughs> and you know what Paul does? Ain't no way we're taking Mark. Last time he went home crying to his mama. I don't want him. He can't handle where the fire's at. We're not taking Paul. We're not taking Mark on the journey. And it was such a sharp division between Barnabas and Paul. And I'm glad to know that like church leaders were fighting even back then. Like they had such a fight about this. They couldn't agree on Mark. Paul's like, I don't trust him. I'm not taking him on the mission field. And they split ways. Now it ended up working out for God's glory, and both worked out well. But I mean, Mark has done Paul wrong is the point he's blown it and then we see here that he said hey concerning whom you have received instructions if he comes to you welcome him 
Because I think word got out that he's flaky. <laughs> and Paul says, hey, now I want you to know, when he comes to you, don't push him out. Something's happening to him. 2 Timothy 4, we see again, and the words will be on the screen. Paul writes to Timothy, another pastor in the church, and says, hey, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me to, in ministry. This is toward the end of Paul's life, that something's happened in Mark, and they've been restored. 2 Corinthians 11 um, says this, Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who's made to fall, and am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So let me just use Mark as an example. Listen, you have not done too much for God not to use you. I don't care how many times you've blown it. I don't care how many times that you've been responsible for something and dropped the ball. When you come to a place of being restored, God says, I have a place for you in the church. It's actually not in all your strengths that you give to Jesus. It's actually in the points where you're the weakest. That you can say, hey, I am weak, but it's not about me. I'm going to boast, Paul says, in what shows my weaknesses. I want to be used in spite of my weaknesses. And God, if you could even take those dark, messed up failures and get glory out of just if nothing else to show how you change lives and don't give up on people. I want to gladly boast of my past and my story. Not in glorifying sin, but in the grace of Jesus that is bigger than our sin. Amen? That is the message of the gospel. So let's keep going for the sake of time. So we have to eat lunch eventually, right? Um, when we are captivated by the glories of Christ, we will associate and bear the burdens of the oppressed with the comfort of Christ. So he says, and Jesus, who is called Justice. So they called him Justice so they wouldn't get him confused with the real Jesus, right? Everybody had the name Jesus, but not the Jesus. Uh, and he says, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So this justice guy was one of the few Jewish people that was still walking with Paul. We see over in Acts 28 that when they were preaching repentance, most of the Jewish people said, no, we don't want Jesus to believe he's the Messiah, and only a few repented and believed. And we would probably uh, deduce that justice was one of those. So listen, justice has walked away from everything he's known, his family, his heritage, and said, I want to follow Jesus, no matter what it costs me. But then he says that these guys, these Jewish um, remnants, have been a comfort. That word comfort in the original language is so beautiful. It has this idea of a medicine that heals and relieves pain. So they've been a comfort to me. Like I'm in pain, and they have been such a, a relief in my imprisonment, in my suffering. So a question for us today. Do you associate with the lowly? Do you gladly bear the burdens of other people? Justice and these guys that he's mentioned were with Paul. And they were, Paul was suffering, but he wasn't alone in his suffering because these guys said, man, we're in it with you. We're, we're in this with you. Like there's a brotherhood here that goes deep. Like that is what um, this is all about. And let me just ask, we talk about giving comfort. But have you ever been comforted by Christ? Have you ever experienced Jesus being this healing person? medicine to your soul because then you can extend that comfort to others let's real quick second corinthians one blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercy meaning he does not give you what you deserve and he's the god of all comfort do you see god that way that he's the god of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction what a beautiful picture god comforts us with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, so that we may be able to comfort those 
who are in any affliction. What he's saying is, when you experience the healing, love, and compassion and comfort of God toward you, then you say, hey, I'm going to comfort you right now, and I'm entering into your mess, and I'm going to associate with the lowly, I'm going to associate with people in this city that no one else wants to have anything to do with. I'm going to see them, I'm going to care for them, because that's what God has done for me. I've experienced comfort, so I want to be that healing balm to the people in my life. A couple more. When we are captivated by the glories of Christ, we will persist in prayer. And we will dedicate our lives to see lives changed, to be followers of Christ. We see Epaphras. Epaphras was the guy who had started the church in Colossae, but notice what he says about him. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So let me just break this down, ask some questions, and again, we're almost finished. We only have only one more guy to look at. He says, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. That word struggling is he's painfully wrestling. So let me just ask all of us again. We've talked about this a lot through this series, but are you painfully wrestling with God on behalf of the souls of men and women? Like, what's your prayer life like? Are you so, saying captivated by this mission that God's called us to that we are going to wrestle with God? I'm toiling in prayer to see people who don't know Christ come to know Christ. I'll do whatever it takes. That's the question. Then he says, here's what he's praying for, verse 12 and 13, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. This is a beautiful picture of discipleship that jesus is wanting you to be changed from the inside out holistically to you to be everything that jesus is to be matured and doing the will of god so he said hey i'm living my life for that so here's some questions for us is your life being poured out to see others transformed to enjoy jesus like is that what you're living for epaphras says hey i'm praying desperately and i'm living my life to see other people mature in jesus i want to see people Love Jesus and be like Jesus and follow Jesus and be on mission with Jesus. Is that true of you? Are you making disciples is what we say around here. Are you a disciple who makes disciples? Are you in the game? We want you to get in the game because it's a beautiful mission. And the last guy that we see here is Luke. So when we are captivated by the glories of Christ, we will leverage our unique gifts for the advancement of the mission of Christ. So we see about Luke in verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you so luke was a follower of christ and he was a doctor all right listen he didn't leave his profession to follow jesus sometimes you need to do that (laughs) sometimes god may be stirring you to be a pastor or do something different but a lot of us you know what you need to do you need to say i have these skills these abilities i'm a marine or i'm a nurse or i'm a doctor or i'm an accountant or i'm going to be an artist or i'm a stay-at-home mom what are you called to do and do that. <laughs> Luke never stopped being a physician. He was one of Paul's personal physicians on the mission trip. He went to almost all the missionary journeys. He's in prison with Paul. He's taking care of his brother. But he says, hey, I'm going to use my gift of practicing medicine. Yeah, I'm going to do it well, but I'm also not going to use that for me. It's bigger than just a paycheck. I'm going to take my gifts and my talents and let it be to advance the mission of God. That's what we learned from Luke. So is that you? Are you saying, do you know how God's wired you? Do you know that you can use your spot, your everyday stuff of life, the things you love to do, your passions? You may have a knack for, I'm looking back at filmmaking, or you may have a knack for um, writing or whatever it is. You can take that, 
give glory to God through doing it. And you can do it for the praise of the glory of his grace among all nations. We preach that a lot around here, and we can't go on to that. But do you realize that? And are you using and planning your career? College students, listen, students, are you picking a major to say, how can I most strategically be leveraged for the glory of God among all nations? That might mean seminary, but most of the, for most of us, it doesn't mean that at all. It means do what I do, and I'm going to do it intentionally. We learned that from Luke. And will you be willing to say, I'm going to take what I am, and it's not going to use it for me, though. I'm going to use it for him. Use it for him. All right. So if you'll bow with me, let's, um, let's, do, let's deal with all that we've been hearing uh, this morning. So I really would invite you just to close your eyes. Um, we're not going to do anything weird <laughs> in this moment. But I want to just, as we close, to p- point out two guys at the end of this, of this letter. And it's really, they're different than all the rest. Uh, because there's something we've got to learn about this. He goes on after he talks about Luke. And he rings up this guy named Demas. And Demas, we see that is with Paul. He's with Paul. And then at one point in 2 Timothy, it says, For Demas in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So here's the question. You have two responses to all of this. We're learning about this. When you see Jesus, everything changes. But there's two responses that we've got to do business right now in this room. Which one will we be? Demas is saying to this, we can choose to walk away from Christ to fulfill our sinful desires. That's what Demas did. He was with Paul the whole time. And then something happened. He was in love with this world so much that he was not willing to sacrifice all things for the glory of Jesus. And he walked away. So is that going to be you? Are you going to look at Jesus in the face after all the beauty that we talked about in the gospel and seen it and say, Jesus, I know that you are my Lord. I know that you've died for me. I know that you want to show grace. I know that you'll forgive me. But I love my sin more than I love you. And I refuse. I walk away. Because make no mistake, if we do not repent to Jesus and follow Jesus, there is no middle ground. Either you are repenting and following him or you are running the opposite direction. So is that you? But here's another one, this guy named Archippus. And he says to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. He looks at Archippus and says, hey, you have a part to play in this. Make sure you do what God's called you to do. (laughs) You be you. Archippus, make sure you fulfill what God's calling you to do. So here, we can choose to give ourselves away to Christ to fulfill our ministry. Which one will it be? Are we going to say, like Demas, I choose to walk away because I don't think he's worth it. Or are we going to say, no, no, he is worth it, and I lay down my life, and I'm going to fulfill the role that God has me in the body of Christ. I may not be like this person over here, but my gift, my talents, my who I am matters. I die to me and I want to live for Jesus. I want Jesus to be the theme of my life. I live for Jesus. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not just about saying you're a Christian and you weren't a Christian before. It's about a change happening in you and you saying I'm living the rest of my life for him. And if you've never done that, I would invite you right this second to do it. Will you turn from your sin and yourself and will you trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord today, right now, if you say, Derek, i got some questions. I don't know how to do that. I need to talk. After this service, man, we would grab us. We would love to do it. Like, that is our response. So if you want to talk, we will take as much time as we need to. So if you don't know you're following Jesus, are you going to follow Jesus? And for those of us who have, 
Are you leveraging your life to say, I want Christ to be all around me. In every part of me, everything that I do, everything that I say, I want to make much of Jesus. I want to fulfill my ministry. What is my ministry? And Jesus, will you use me? So we're going to sing this uh, song. It's written from a prayer from St. Patrick from way back in the day. Christ be all around me. I'll invite us to stay seated and we can sing along with our team here. Let this be our prayer as we deal with what we've heard from God's word this morning. So let's sing this song, Christ be all around.